Welcome to another episode of Web Dev Weekly, the weekly podcast about web development. Before we get started this week, I just want to plug the fact that we have a questions form out there where you can submit questions to the podcast. We're looking to collect questions from you all to answer in an upcoming episode. So please submit any questions you have for myself or Brad. Speaking of myself, I'm Richard Gottlieber. And I'm Brad Garropy. And welcome to this episode of Web Dev Weekly, where we're going to talk about something that I really have no idea about. But Richard, he knows his stuff. Uh, we're going to be talking about Web3, blockchain, crypto, all these things that I thought were just buzzwords. But it turns out you can actually build real stuff with them. So, Richard, what's your experience with all of this stuff? Crypto coins, Web3, blockchain. I feel like there's a lot of buzz right now in this space and it's currently centered on pictures and making money. <laughs> and while those things are cool, I feel like that the opportunity for financial gain is overshadowing the technology itself. So I think that we should take a step back and look at the technology and what it could mean for web development going forward. So before like we get too far into it, other than just like hearing the buzzwords, Brad, what, what do you know about blockchain so far? I think from what I understand, I'm hearing that it's a distributed web, but I don't really know what that means. Yeah. So distribution is one thing that is definitely key to this whole idea. So let's just back up real quick, working through like web three, what does that mean? You know, what, why three? To look at the history of the internet, we had web one, uh, which was the original internet. If you think of back in the olden days of the read only internet, right? Where you would upload a file to a server and it would be displayed. Think of it like static sites where there's no interaction at all, the original internet. And then along came the ability for users, like people on the internet to interact with the content, uh, leaving comments, posting things via a website, not like directly uploading to a server, stuff like that. The huge revolution here was probably social media, right? Where you suddenly have these web applications that you interact with. Any web application where you're interacting with it, that's going to be web two historically. And then now we have web three and there's been kind of a shift in terminology here where Web3 originally referred to the semantic web, which is where sites and the computers would start to be more intelligent. Uh, and I think it originally Web3 was like deemed to be kind of like an integration of AI into the web, but it's recently shifted to being decentralized web. And what that means is you have the source of information is decentralized. It's not stored on a server. If you think just recently, one of the major social media platforms kind of made an oopsie and disappeared off the internet. And if you had been relying on them to store any of your information, they were just gone and they could be gone. Like any website currently that is out there, uh, doesn't matter what it is. Think Amazon, Dropbox, Google, all these different huge platforms. They are the sole source of information for that platform, right? So like if you're hosting all of your data on Amazon S3 and tomorrow Amazon says, Hey, see you later. We're done. We're closing the doors. 
your data is just gone. So that's centralized data. Decentralizing it means that, you know, it's spread out across thousands of different people, different nodes. One way to think about this is, Brad, are you familiar with torrents at all? I, I mean, I mean the ones that, you know, yes. like you want to put Ubuntu on your awesome PC. And so instead of downloading it from the Ubuntu website, you use a web torrent, right? Oh man, my experience with torrents are <laughs> so different. It makes me think of, you know, LimeWire and all the, the peer-to-peer downloading applications, right. right? So you're getting the sources of truth from all those files from lots of different people. From So that's exactly it. That's, a, that's an example of a distributed system, right? If any one of those people were to drop off, there's still all the other nodes out there that you can get that information from. And so that piece is one of the key components to like the idea behind Web3. It's decentralizing the information. There's also the idea of the blockchain. So I guess to start off with Brad, when I say blockchain, what do you think of? Now, th this is where I really have no idea, but the thoughts that come into my head are like something that's trusted. Something about the blockchain indicates trust. Again, I don't know what or why, but I think that's the idea okay. behind it. It's funny that you say trust because one of the key pieces of the blockchain is that it's trustless and you don't have to have trust. So what that means is there's, within the cryptography that's backing various blockchains, there are methods to prove things. So you don't have to trust them. You can tell me that, you know, you have X. I don't have to believe you. I can verify it. It's like, you know, that old political saying, trust but verify. It's kind of like that. You don't need trust. But that means that as a whole, you can trust the blockchain then, right? And I think that's where you were going. So... It, is this kind of like, maybe I kind of view it like stateless web applications. Like there's nothing intrinsic about the connection that you have to the server that says you're good or bad. Uh, we pass in JWTs, for instance, that have some claims in there that can then be verified on the server. So nothing intrinsically is trusted about the user, but the token that you hand over has some things in it that can then be verified. And then the server says, ah. I know who this is now. Yes, I trust yeah, you. it's a similar idea. Um, we'll get into into that in just a second. So just to back up a little bit, along came the blockchain. The first real like crypto blockchain of any prevalence was Bitcoin. It's still around, right? Like, and I'm sure listeners have heard stories of you know like how somebody had like a ton of Bitcoin and they lost it and it'd be worth millions today, but they don't have it anymore and all this stuff. I personally love the fact that when Bitcoin was first coming out, I remember reading about the guy who bought a Domino's pizza for two Bitcoin. And if you look at the current price of Bitcoin, that Domino's pizza cost him in today, Bitcoin dollars, $124,000. I hope it was a good pizza. Probably the guy got pineapple on it and it was just garbage. But anyway, let's not get into pineapple on pizza. So can we separate this idea of like, what is Bitcoin and what is a blockchain, right? Because I thought, I thought they were separate things and you kind of mentioned them in the same breath. So how, how does cryptocurrency relate to the blockchain? Bitcoin is one of the first like cryptocurrencies, which was formed on a blockchain. So what a blockchain is, is it's basically a shared ledger of transactions, data, whatever can be on that specific blockchain. The reason I say data is that 
Bitcoin is mostly focused around storing the transaction of trading this asset that is Bitcoin back and forth and keeping track of who has what, right? This data is then agreed upon by different nodes on the blockchain through a consensus mechanism, which is just basically fancy term for saying like some sort of way for everybody to agree that this thing is true. This goes back to kind of that, like, you know, being able to prove something happened. Um, there's two main consensus mechanisms. Bitcoin gets a lot of flack for being very energy intensive. That's because Bitcoin uses what's called proof of work. You have to do a very hard mathematical computation in order to verify that a transaction happened. And the reason that you have to have these like consensus mechanisms is that it helps prevent bad actors from lying, essentially. It makes it expensive to lie so that then it becomes not worth it is, is kind of how I think of it. Are you saying that then we could have multiple blockchains or multiple different types of data? So we've got this one blockchain that could be used for Bitcoin specifically. There could be another blockchain that's used for Dogecoin or another blockchain that's used for social media posts or, you know, can this be replicated yes, to different so data types? Yes, so there are quite a few different blockchains. There's nothing really preventing you from even spinning up your own version of an existing blockchain, right? Like Bitcoin is on one chain. Uh, Ethereum is another huge blockchain. And it is, in my opinion, a more powerful tool for development purposes. But it's one of those like, I want to I explain this space and then kind of separate out the financial piece because I feel like there's a lot of speculation and investment happening around the coins, right? And we'll get to coins in a minute and explain what those are. But they are separate from the chain. So just to kind of keep those two, keep those things separate in your mind. Going back to the consensus mechanism, part of one of the kind of barriers when it comes to blockchains is the fact that like doing stuff on the blockchain costs money, essentially. You have to pay the group of computers that is verifying the transactions to like incentivize them to verify the transactions, right? If you remember back in the day when you would uh, look at like torrents and stuff, there were a few networks that were really good, but the only way you could participate is if you were also seeding out torrents as well, right? You don't want somebody just taking mm -hmm. from the network. You want to like create this environment where like there's sharing among the entire network. Well, blockchain encourages people to do work by paying them. When you run a full node and you're validating, um, when you are the actual one node that actually validated a block, you will get a reward. And so this is like paying you to do the work, essentially. So that's like one, one piece in there. And that's why it costs to do things on the blockchain. And I know that can be kind of seen as a negative, especially when we're used to all these free things that we get, right? But, you know, nothing is actually free. So, and so this way you're actually just paying directly for the work instead of, you know, via ads or whatever else. So how much money are we kind of talking here to get going to do transactions on the blockchain or, or anything like that? Because I think as we've mentioned in previous episodes, the economy for web developers is pretty cheap, pretty free. You can, you can get a lot done for free. So here comes this blockchain that kind of has these entry fees. How so much are we talking? It depends is the answer. You mentioned like, you know, why can't there be multiple chains? There definitely are multiple chains and there's always a trade-off when it comes to the different chains of what 
you're getting out of it, right? Like Ethereum is, as far as doing development work, probably the most secure, most distributed chain. It is also the most expensive, like depending on the time of day. And another thing to note, based on supply and demand determines the, the price that it costs to do an activity on the chain. If you want to get up really early in the morning on Saturday or Sunday, things are a lot cheaper. If you're trying to do it in the middle of a uh, NFT being released where everybody's on the blockchain trying to do this one thing, it's going to be really expensive. Uh, when I say really expensive, I mean just a simple transaction might cost you two, $300. So th this is one thing that definitely is a barrier to entry. It's being worked on. Uh, I don't know that we want to get into like side chains and level two blockchains and stuff, but like there are solutions out there that are coming out to make it much cheaper to do these interactions with the blockchain. This is a new technology. Think of it like, you know, right now we're in like the golden era of web development, right? But it didn't used to be this way where you could get hosting for free. You know, you used to have to pay for a server like full on thousands of dollars if you wanted to host a website of any size. And, and we're kind of there. We're in the early era. I like the analogy of cell phones is a great one. We currently are in like the briefcase cell phone phase of blockchain, not the everybody in the world has access to a cell phone phase. And so that's just something to keep in mind. Do you think that as this progresses, having money involved to perform transactions will kind of increase the integrity of the, the content and the applications on this web three platform. Yeah, I think it, I think it will, but it doesn't have to be as expensive as it is currently. Uh, an example is there's another up and coming, very popular blockchain. So there's Ethereum, there's Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then one of the other big ones right now is Solana. It's a completely separate blockchain from Ethereum and it costs like fractions of a penny to do a transaction on there. So they've made some compromises in order to get that. But again, like depending on your use case, it's awesome, right? Like being able to do stuff for basically free is fantastic. But I, I think that's, we're kind of getting into the weeds here when it comes to discussing all these things about blockchains. Let's, let's roll back for a minute and just talk about like web three in general, the idea of using blockchains and decentralized stuff in web three and why like. I don't know. Personally, I think it's going to be very influential in the future. I'm not picking which blockchain or anything like that. I'm not interested in really discussing like the speculative investment of like, Hey, you know, Brad, we're starting web dev weekly coin and make sure you get on the ground floor when it's fractions of a penny. Cause it'll be worth, you know, like a whole two or three cents and you'll be a millionaire. You know, I'm not interested in talking about that. So backing up and, and just talking about like the blockchain ideology and, and using it for web development, the first piece of technology that you need is some sort of way to interact with it. And what that looks like is creating a wallet. Wallets are essentially an address on the blockchain that holds your information, right? Basically. Hmm you're creating a place that is associated with you and it can be anonymous, but there's a caveat there in that everything that happens on the blockchain is public information. So you may not know who owns a wallet address, but you can see everything that happens with it. Now, 
once you've created this thing that is associated with you, there is a public key and a private key, right? Think of it kind of like SSH. You know, you have your, your public key and that lets you prove that you're who you say you are, you know, like when you give that somebody and then you can use your private key to authenticate, but you don't need to give your private key away. And when it comes to the blockchain, it's the exact same thing. Like your private key is the keys to your wallet. Like think of it like, you know, everything, if you're using this for financial means, that's, that's it. Like if I get your private key, it's game over. I have access to your wallet. And like, that's one thing that I think will need to be sorted out as far as securing that for regular users down the road, because I can't imagine giving uh, my mom, my grandma something and saying like, Hey, if somebody gets access to this password, essentially they have access to your bank account and there's no insurance or anything currently. Like they'll just suck all your money out and uh, good riddance. But you have this way to authenticate then, right? Uh, there's a bunch of different browser plugins and wallets that will hold this information for you. There's one called MetaMask, which is really popular. And the piece here that I think is so powerful for web development is once you have a wallet set up, that's your user authentication. That's pretty awesome. Like you just sidestepped the entirety of one of the hardest things that you have to do when building an application. But this, this wallet though, the term wallet makes me think money. Um, it's not necessarily money related. Is that true? It, it's mostly so it an identity money related, thing. But it's also when you think like, I think wallet is a good term for it because what else besides your credit cards and cash do you keep in your wallet? Right. You got your so ID. So this is like anytime you want to perform an action on the blockchain, your wallet is what you hand over and it says, this is who I am and this is how much money I have. And please right. allow you me authenticate to enter. with your public private key combination. And then you can prove that you are this address on the blockchain essentially. So like that is, uh, I don't know, to me, that's one thing that is just huge. Because you have cross app, like you, you basically have universal login that you own, right? It's not like I'm relying on Google to hold my credentials for me. I'm not relying on, you know, some other place, Twitter, Facebook, whatever easy, you know, cross site login you want. It's literally you own the key and you're saying like, here's my ID. And they're saying, cool. And you don't need a password anymore because you're using your private key to authenticate yourself. And so you've basically sidestepped auth like in a super secure fashion. But that's only for the blockchain that you're on. Is that true? Yes. Yeah. So if you okay. were looking at like the Ethereum blockchain versus the Solana blockchain, that would be two separate accounts mm -hmm. the way things are set up right now. I believe there is some cross-chain protocols being worked on to kind of deal with this problem. But yes, currently like that, that is true. Two separate accounts, meaning like a single wallet can't work on multiple chains. So the wallet holds your account. And so, yes, you would have mm -hmm. multiple accounts within your wallet. Okay. So one wallet kind of multiple IDs right. for the different states or countries that you live in. Uh, and, and then that the money yes. is different as well. The currency is different. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Talking through this, like, you know, we have Bitcoin, which is just basically a store of value. Ethereum, Solana, other blockchains like that, they are designed to allow you to store more than just value on the blockchain. 
Ethereum is, is what they call a Turing complete computer, meaning that it can simulate any Turing machine, which basically means that you can do computation via the Ethereum blockchain. You can store these contracts is what they call them. So a smart contract is essentially a program that is stored on the blockchain. And with this ability, now you can build programs that live on the blockchain. They're decentralized. Anybody can access them. And like, this is the other piece that like, to me, like once I started to think about this more is kind of mind blowing. So are you familiar at all with NFTs, Brad? Uh, yes. Uh, it, in, in the superficial way, the, the fun little drawings that can be bought and sold. Okay. That's how I yes. know them. So right now NFTs are <laughs> mostly focused around art is what I would say. Like there's a lot of hype and craze around NFTs that are art. Um, some fun little, you know, eight bit crypto punks are selling for millions of dollars. Uh, and the thing is, is that so non fungible tokens, fungible is a weird word. It just means it can be swapped out. So a real quick definition of what fungible is, is that, you know, if you think about a $20 bill, if I say, Hey, Brad, give me a $20 bill. Do I care which $20 bill you give me? That's a fungible asset, right? Like, so, so $20 bills are fungible. You can okay. swap them out, right? If I give you a $20 bill and you give me back a different $20 bill, I don't really care. The serial number on the $20 bill. Sure. That's a non-fungible thing because mm -hmm. there is a difference between those two, right? So non-fungible tokens just is a fancy way of saying like, hey, this is a unique item. And it also proves ownership because you can see what address this item belongs to. When it comes to the artwork and stuff, like it's cool. I get it. You know, it's, it's fun to own this artwork and I understand that art has value and being able to prove that you own the art can be important, right? But Brad, you recently went to Disney world, right? Oh yeah, I did. Okay. Did you get a star Wars land? Oh yeah, I did. Okay. So imagine this for just a moment. You have these non-fungible tokens. You have these things that say, you know, you own this, this token. And imagine if Disney came out with a new Star Wars movie. And if you went and saw it on opening night, you got a token that says, you know, I went to this movie on opening night. And maybe you bought the super fancy Lego. You like Legos, right, Brad? Oh, yeah, I do. And when you bought that super fancy Lego, you got a token that says, I own this Lego. And now you go to Disney World. And on your wallet, Disney World says, oh, hey, Brad's done these things. He's like a, a real fan and he's given the Disney company. A lot of money, but you know, he's a real fan. Hey, Brad, come back over here to this little space behind Oga's cantina to the back room. And now you can go to like a special place like that. You have a way of proving that you have done certain actions and they can see it. And like that, that's one use case, right? Where you can have these things associated with you, like, um, proof of experience, right? I think that's huge. Like imagine, so, you know. Next.js conf is today, right? And they have those little badges that they're, everybody's getting to show that they're going, even though it's a virtual conference, but there's no way of like proving that that's your badge, right? Put that on the blockchain. Now you have a way of proving, Hey, I went to this thing. This makes like the, the applications here are so much deeper than just like, Hey, it's fun little pixel art. Like you could take and store 
all of this stuff and have like an actual like verifiable CV going with it in my head. Like, yes, I, my resume is now just uh, a bunch of NFTs that claim that I worked at this company on this project and, and I have mm-hmm. this experience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, this is like one aspect of it, right? Like, right. And why this space excites me so much. The other aspect of it, of it is, um, I know that you recently uh, did some work on your truck, right? Mm-hmm. How do you prove that you own your truck? It's registration with the state title. Okay. So yeah. So you have that title, right? And there's all this stuff of like, you know, if I want, if you're going to sell your truck to me, if you transfer oh, yeah. the title yeah. and all this stuff and that too could live on the blockchain. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that really excited me about NFTs was I just did a project, uh, basically creating like a Pokemon style game where like, uh, your characters had health points and you could modify this attribute of your NFT. So imagine the token that says this is Brad's truck. And then it's a common standard that it's on the blockchain. It's publicly accessible. Like anybody can see it. Uh, you could authorize different places to modify it and you get your oil changed. And you update your NFT to say, hey, this happened. Not only do you have history built in, right? but now you have the current state and it's transferable. Right. Right? Like, I don't know. This is like blowing my mind that you could create this verifiable, publicly accessible database, if you will, that's distributed. Nobody can say, hey, uh, we're going out of business. See you later. You know, it will be there as long as there is at least one person who wants the blockchain to exist. This part of the discussion is great because so much of Web3 blockchain is focused around cryptocurrency and trading and money. And it's so good to hear you come in with this actual application for blockchain. That that does sound really exciting. That sounds like we've yet to scratch the surface on what this can really be. Right now, we're just screwing around with, uh, you know, pennies and pixel art, but there's a lot more that could be built. Right. And, and not to like disparage the, as you called it, pennies and pixel art, like there's life-changing things happening in that space. Like people are making a ridiculous amount of money. I don't always fully understand like the, <laughs> the why some things are valued the way they are, but that space is also very important because The other thing, we talked about built-in authentication, right? These blockchains have a store of value as well. So, Brad, you're selling merch on your website. Not only do you have authentication so people can log in, you also have a built-in currency mechanism right there. We can trade value. You don't have to set up a Stripe account. You don't have to deal with PayPal. On the blockchain, you have the ability to transfer assets back and forth as well. Like, again, mind blown, right? Like, not only do you have a built-in authentication method, but now you have built-in asset transfer as well. All of this is awesome. Let's talk a little bit more about nuts and bolts. Like, how do you get started actually building an application for Web3 uh, to, to put something on the blockchain? Because, right, that this stuff is in practice, so... There's got to be some kind of support to build this. Right. So just like current web development, web two, there is front end and back end is the way I like to think about it in my mind. Um, the blockchain work, a lot of it happens either in a language called solidity, 
which is very JavaScript-like, or in Rust. So Rust is the language that the contracts on Solana are built on. And then Solidity is for the Ethereum virtual machine. There's multiple blockchains that use the EVM, Ethereum virtual machine. But those are basically the two big players currently in the creating a smart contract or blockchain-based backend, I guess is probably what I would call a smart contract to kind of like make it sound similar to something that you would know from Web2. Both these languages, like Rust is Rust. So if you don't know Rust, it's going to be confusing. Solidity is its own language, but it, it feels like JavaScript. And I think if you are a backend web dev currently, it's not going to feel too strange to you. As far as learning these things, they're starting to get to be good resources out there. Uh, Free Code Camp has a few videos. Um, I know the company Chainlink, uh, Patrick, he created a 16-hour long introduction to Solidity Video. And it seems like a lot to bite off, but like it's out there on Free Code Camp most most of free code camp stuff is very thorough. And so, you know, it's like a, like beginner to feeling proficient kind of thing. There's also a website, uh, build space. They currently have, I believe three different projects and it is an awesome resource. It's free. You can't just go anytime you want and do it. It's not on demand. They do cohorts. So they try to kind of keep people together in a cohort to learn together and kind of build a community that way. But the content is outstanding. So yeah. That's for the smart contract piece, right? The other piece, Brad, you do web development, right? Oh yeah, I do. You've interacted with an API before? Yep. Okay. Basically, you can either use Ethers.js or Web3.js. And from a front-end perspective, it feels just like what you know and do every day. Like the front-ends I've built have been in SvelteKit. And once you authenticate with the wallet and get access to that Web3 backend, it's building a web app. So it's nothing to be kind of intimidated about or whatever from a web dev perspective, which is awesome. This is really cool because now if you're looking for an entry point to actually learn about this stuff, uh, it's not just a theoretical thing. So for any of the listeners out there, go check out that free course. It is 16 hours long. I just checked. That's, that's insane. And I actually think build spaces looks really cool. I was just checking out the homepage and like, it, it seems to encapsulate the feeling that I had. And it says, if you're a dev that's curious about web three and not sure where to start, this is the spot for you. And I'm like, sign yeah. me up. That's the place. Yeah. Build space is awesome. Their discord community is extremely helpful as well. So if you get stuck, they have a discord, you go there, you ask for help, people will help you. So at this point where I feel like only partway through the conversation, you know, how much is left in this web three world? Cause, cause I guess now we can go into the nuts and bolts or in the next episode, we can go into the nuts and bolts of how you really use these tools to build, uh, or maybe you can share something that you've built and then we can let, you know, the listeners drive the questions on what they want to hear about next, because I, I think. This is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we've just discussed the ideas of what Web3 is to help people understand, link to some tools so they can actually play with it. But there's so much more. Yeah, it definitely is one of those just tip of the iceberg situations. And 
I mean, to be honest, Web3 development, this, we could change the name of this podcast to Web3 Weekly and it could be its own podcast. And so I will, I will put this out there to listeners. If you want more of this content, let us know, right? Ask questions in our contact form, like join the discord, ask questions. Seriously, like, I, I don't want to like steer this. I'm excited about this space. I'll be honest. Like I'm super bullish on this being like where the future of web technology is going. And that's just my personal opinion. I don't know a lot. I get into like the whole investment side of things, right? Like I'm just looking at it from a technology where we are going to be in the future. I think this is hugely important in that space. There's a bunch of other stuff that we have in the notes to talk about, but you know, we're getting kind of long already. And if you all want to hear more about this, let us know. I don't want to monopolize the podcast though. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This Web3 stuff is definitely Richard's domain. Yeah, this was an explainer for me today. So appreciate it so much. So with that being said, thank you for tuning into Web Dev Weekly. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe in your podcast player. Check us out on Twitter. We got those handles linked in the show notes. Remember our Discord community. If you have any questions about Web3, get at Richard and ask him. And one last plug for our questions form. That link is in the show notes. If you want us to answer your questions live on an episode of Web Dev Weekly, hit us up. See you all next week. Mm -hmm.